We're continuing with the theme of the grind of sports talk media, how they got there. And my next, I don't want to say victim, but my next guest is a guy who played some some downs in the NFL, and, and you may have heard of him, especially if you're a Green Bay Packer fan. And I've had him on the show before, and we were talking a little uh, Aaron Rodgers last year when things were seemingly up in the air, and then we got the, co- the comment from Aaron Rodgers about running the table, and uh, Aaron seemed to be just fine. The Packers got themselves to the NFC Championship game. It's none other than Brady Popinga. What's up, Brady? How are you? Hey, what's up, man? Hey, thanks for having me on. Of course, and and I mean, I guess Aaron Rodgers ended up figuring it out this year, huh? Oh, he always does, you know, and that's the thing about Aaron and the Packers is that sometimes it takes them a little bit to figure out the right formula of how they're going to be able to implement all of their weapons and uh, ultimately their schemes and tie them up together the way they can go out and be productive because it seems like every year they're bringing in new guys. And they're trying to figure out how to get them going. And last year, the example how to do with Ty Montgomery, you know, how are they going to incorporate a receiver as a running back? And it seemed at first that they were obviously using him more as a receiver than a running back. There was no running game. And Aaron also didn't have, you know, the kind of rapport that he generally has with Jordy Nelson because Jordy was out with his ACL recovery. And then also Jared Cook was new. Uh, and ultimately, the just timing was off. But he knew eventually that they were going to get it all together. Which, when they did, as you saw firsthand, and the nation saw firsthand, they became very difficult to stop. And like you said, they made it to the NFC Championship game. Yeah, it was exciting to watch. And I went to that game in Philly where they they got it rolling. And I, you know, kind of just wanted to bring that up off the top because we had talked about that the last time, and everybody was was panicking about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. And you mentioned the no running game. And we had talked about not having John Kuhn there and then how Aaron Ripkowski was going to kind of come in and replace him. And down the stretch, he actually ran the ball pretty well and was pretty reliable out of the backfield. But that was another kind of new guy that Aaron Rodgers had to get used to, um, of course, until he fumbled the ball in that, that Atlanta game. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, you can't throw it all on Ripkowski because, I mean, there was a lot of things working against the Packers, you know, in that game. I mean, whether it was, simply just coming out of the gates in a way to where they can stay up with the same tempo as the Falcons to the point to where can they have the, can their secondary just, you know, hold up a little bit to give their offense some kind of breathing room that, where they don't have to feel like they're they're playing with such a razor-thin margin of error. And, and when you're in that kind of situation where you know you can't make a mistake and then you do, like with Rutkowski thumbing the ball, it just it's exponentially uh, it, it's, it's huge. You know, because those kind yeah. of mistakes, you can't afford them in those kind of situations. And so it compounds the mistake to be even bigger than it really is because you just don't have a defense that can go out there and keep things close and keep the margin of error, you know, wide enough to where you can't go out there and, you know, afford maybe having a turnover here or there and staying in the game. And so it's, it's not all on him is my point. But, if, you know, if they, if they, if they were going to win the game, they would have had to play perfectly, which they obviously didn't. Yeah, and, you know, that defense was pretty gassed. And and the whole team, you know, basically they had their bye week early in the season at week four, and they had been playing straight ever since, you know, ever since then. So that was was kind of a a lot of factors working against them. I had a lot of faith in Aaron that game, but it it just was not meant to be. And hopefully they can retool and and kind of get after it this next season. But, Brady, I wanted to talk to you about your broadcasting, your sports media career, because you went from the gridiron now to – 
Uh, obviously, the, the media side of things, you know, former Green Bay Packer, you know, Super Bowl winning linebacker, uh, FS1 analyst. You were part of the Steve Hartman and Brady Papinga show, obviously, which you can hear on the Fox Premier Networks. That's 1 to 5 Pacific time, am I right? You got it. 1 to 5 Pacific, 4 to, what is that? 4 eight. to 8 on the East Coast, for, the, for us East Coasters yeah, out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually trust me. I have it written down. I didn't just do that. Yeah, well, it takes a little bit of math calculations. You know, that's why I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Can we, can we... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you went to you went to BYU. You studied business administration. You played in the league for eight years, and and I know you're the inventor of the XPT trainer, the Ultraflex. I know you you promote that a lot on WQAM whenever you go on with the big O. Um, you know, how yeah. did you get in? How did you come about getting into sports media? How did how did that whole thing kind of come about for you to have that opportunity after you played? Yeah, well, when I graduated from college, I, I didn't really think about being a broadcaster. Uh, so what happened was is fast forward to when I was with the Packers my first year, uh, and when I and even in college, whenever I interacted with anybody, I was always upfront, honest, and transparent with my feelings and my analysis of things. And people like that. But my first interview with the Green Bay Packers, when I walked into the locker room, I was a guy that uh, in college had played defensive end, played linebacker, you know, and I played a number of positions. And so the Packers drafted me more as an athlete than any kind of specific, specific position, but they drafted me to play linebacker. Uh, but the media didn't know that. And so the first question ever asked to me was, how do you envision yourself when you look at yourself in the mirror? Do you see a linebacker or do you see a defensive end? And this was to Larry McCary. Uh, Larry McCary, he was a former center of the Green Bay Packers, also known as the Rock. Yep. He was in the yep. interview. And, and uh, my response to him is I said, hey, I'm a valuable piece of clay. I'll become whatever the coaches envision of me. And they all looked at me like, are you kidding me? Who is this guy? You know, they're like, who says my Lucy Kelly? Who does? You know, and so we kept, and I mean, and I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, they're entertained by everything that's coming out of my mouth. This is hilarious because it's just me. I'm not being anybody different. And so fast forward to 2000, so that was 2005. In 2006, I was approached by a gentleman by the name of Mark Tauscher, who also is into broadcasting. He did kind of sports radio kind of stuff. And he had. Yeah. yeah, he had done a, a radio show, a player's radio show in the Green Bay area called Breakfast with the Boys with Mino and Murphy. And he was offered an opportunity to go do TV. It was like a player's TV show. And uh, Mino and Murphy had asked him, hey, who do you think could replace you? And they, he goes, my number one choice would be Brady Papinga. And so he came to me and says, hey, man, I... I recommended you to these you to these guys. I think you'd be fantastic co-host. Blah 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 blah. And I was intrigued because I was like, hey man, it's just like an interview, you know. You just gotta have fun and do things. And so I ended up doing that, and the show became you can see it on YouTube. It became extremely popular, not only amongst the community but in the locker room. You know, guys after practice would uh, listen to it uh, on the speakers as they're in the treatment or whatever, and they just love. I mean, I'd come in the next day, and guys would. I mean, they just like, man, and they just complimented me on the show, you know, and I just, to me, it was just simple. I just being me. I wasn't trying to make yeah. the show great, you know, and it ended up being entertaining. And so I realized, I was like, I, I can do this, you know, on a on a professional level once I retire. And so I kept working on it and 
you know, and then when I did retire, I just ended up pursuing simply, you know, opportunities to, to do radio, to do TV, and those kinds of things, and I've been granted those opportunities, and one that you forgot to mention was I'm also bilingual. I speak Spanish, and I, and I called the first ever Spanish broadcast uh, in 2013 of the Super Bowl. Because the Super Bowl had been called wow. in the SAP for a number of years, but never in a full Spanish production, and I did that. And so I did see that you, am, you you worked at uh, on Fox Deportes for for um, doing color analyst. Am I right? Yeah, color analyst on Fox Deportes. Right. And that is right. And I know you were uh, down in you were down in Mexico City doing the the game. I think it was for Westwood One this past year, right? That's right. That's right. So I, I've yeah. I, uh, We've had a number of opportunities on the English side, the Spanish side. This this year, we also went to the Super Bowl and called it the full Spanish production of Fox Deportes, and we and I and we hold the record for the most watched non-soccer event on TV, sporting event on TV, and that's this last year's Super Bowl. So I've had some wonderful accomplishments so far, and you know, breaking records, making history. Uh, in broadcasting, like you said, I've uh, got a national radio show with Steve Hartman on Saturdays. I do a number of other hits, like what I'm doing with you right now, and, uh, and I truly enjoy being in the media, giving opinion, giving analysis. But the biggest thing I love about it, though, is being able to pull back the layers and share people more of a player's perspective, which, man, it gets – it's even amongst players. Guys have such a difficult time – communicating and also they have a difficult time of being fully honest and transparent because they don't yep. want to hurt people's feelings to where you don't get an unfiltered view into what really goes on what really guys think from a player's perspective and that's what I take pride on of my analysis is whether or not I'm going to offend anybody I'm going to give you my honest opinion of how I see it from how players see it and you can take it or you can leave it you know that's my style that I do, and I enjoy that, because one thing, like, with, like for example, when Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were struggling early on in the season, it's like, it's just, it had nothing to do with Aaron, and because a lot of people were going at his fundamentals and saying that his fundamentals oh, yeah. were slipping. I was, I was laughing so comically hard, because if you broke down Aaron's game, he never has good, between quotation, quarterback fundamentals. He, is, mm-hmm. he, he transcends quarterbacking in that sense because he is such a phenomenal talent. He never sets his feet. He never does those things like they talk about the uh, there's a certain kind of arc or, or, or trajectory of your shoulders. And I mean, he doesn't do all that. He doesn't have to because his arm is so strong and he, and he, he throws the ball off to so many different planes. And so anyway, I, I broke it down. I said, no, I've been in Jordy Nelson's shoes before. I know what goes on in the mind of a guy coming back from the ACL. He's not his same self, and he wasn't in the first year, which threw off his and Aaron's timing. And so it was, you know, it was, it was, for me, it was a situation where I felt like this is an opportunity to share a unfiltered, transparent reality of what's happening based off of my experiences versus, okay, I'm analyzing from afar what's going on. And I enjoy, and I enjoy that because, I do believe the fans should know what really is going on. And then also I think it's fair to the players to either, you know, to, to make sure that they're being fairly assessed 
whether for good or bad, uh, based off of, you know, what's really happening. And, and it wasn't unfair for Aaron to, to be criticized that his fundamentals were slipping because they never were. It wasn't a matter of fundamentals. It was a simple matter of timing with Jordy Nelson. You know, and that's just one example of many. And that's why I also do mm-hmm. football by football.com with Matt Chatham, who also is another former player who takes on the same kind of uh, philosophical approach to broadcasting as I do, which is we try to, again, peel back the layers and give a football player's perspective on what's happening yep. in football instead of always relying on what an analyst who never played the game is trying to decipher. Yeah, it's hard to do that with somebody who's never really played the game and been in those locker rooms and been in those situations. So you definitely do bring that unique sense of uh, of an opinion and, and obviously that firsthand knowledge of being in the locker rooms and, and being around those guys. And especially, you know, last year when we when we, we even talked was about Aaron Rodgers, like you would mentioned, where everybody was saying his fundamentals were off and everybody's, you know, look at me as, as a big Packer fan saying, what's wrong with your boy? What's wrong with your former MVP? What's going on? And I said, he's not doing anything different. And, and like you said, it, it was just kind of the timing and, you know, Jordy Nelson trying to get back and all the new players around him. And, you know, some of those, something, sometimes those things take some time. No question. And that's the thing that people don't realize with offensive football especially is it's so timing and rhythm-based that if you throw off the timing and rhythm just ever so slightly, it will take an offense that is unstoppable and explosive and turn it into a wreck of a, an offense to where they can't even move the ball. And that's, and that's because they're unable to hit on those timing plays that are so dangerous. And see, with the Packers, you know, getting into that, one of their timing plays that they love was when Jordy was healthy, and by the end of the year they got back to it, or these quick slant plays. And, and it's because Jordy is an expert, and Aaron has such a quick release of getting the ball out and so accurate that if a team lines up and a, a single high safety defense tries to man up out on the, the receivers, that kind of route concept is unstoppable if you can get it going, but it's all timing-based. The, the receiver needs to be out of his break and the slant at just the right time as the ball is coming out of the hand of the quarterback. And the, the ball, the quarterback needs to be placed just in front of the receiver to where he can catch it and not break stride and, and run up the middle of the defense and beat the inside leverage of the receiver. But if that's off of one millisecond, that play becomes null and void, and all of a sudden you're not having difficulties being able to handle single-high safety defenses. And if you're having a tough time throwing into those kind of defenses, there's no way you're going to be able to run. Well, I mean, you can, in theory, but... It makes it more difficult because those single high safety defenses are where they load up the box. That's why they're single high. So it just starts mm-hmm. to compound more of the problems offensively just because you're off one little millisecond in a route that generally gashes that types of defenses and discourages defenses from running that type of uh, that scheme. So uh, that's the thing that people don't realize is that rhythm and timing is so vital to an offensive success. Again, we're talking with Brady Papinga here on The Word with Gene. You can always follow him on Twitter, at Brady Papinga. And, you know, that's another thing I love about you, Brady, is that, you know, you interact with the fans on your Twitter account. You know, you, I see you going back and forth and, and talking to people, replying, and, and just kind of giving your opinion and, and just embracing that debate and the, the comments and, and the questions and, and the back and forth. You know, so that, that also, I feel like, makes you – 
also very valuable in the sports media world because you seem to be using those social media tools correctly. And, and a lot of these athletes or former athletes don't really take the time to answer people or, or to jump on there and to really have a conversation. Well, you learn a lot, you know, and I, like one, one thing I learned just recently was, you know, about, I forget the name of the golfer, the girl that she had a stroke added to her game because yeah. some yep. person that was watching who emailed. And at first my, my knee jerk reaction Ridiculous. was like, what does it matter? Golf, you just had a stroke. I mean, who cares, you know? But then all of a sudden I, I got a bombardment of replies to that. To that, and they're saying, well, if she would have known on the 12 hole that she's dealing with an extra stroke, she maybe takes some more chances, you know, maybe takes, you know, a shot at the green instead of laying up, you know, to try to get yep. that stroke back, changes her whole plan of approach. I'm like, oh, man, that's so true, my fault. And I, and I, I mean, I, I learned something. It's like I, it made sense in the moment I, I missed it, you know, so it's, it's enjoyable. Then it's also enjoyable to get into the back and forth, you know, because, like I said, I feel like it's important that certain voices have are heard, you know, and one is from an athlete's perspective. And then the latest one had to do with, you know, NCAA athletes being paid. It's a conversation that's perpetual. It's been going on for a while. But even more so yep. now as we're coming off the Final Four and you hear about Roy Williams making $900,000 off of that run. And, and the players, guess what they are? Yeah, a duffel bag of Nothing. shoes and Jordan sweat. Nothing. Way to be. Boom. You know, and, and then all the former athletes, or excuse me, all the non-athletes, their reply is, well, imagine going and working two jobs just so you can go to school. At least you guys get a scholarship for free. And I get the hard work end of it. But at the end of the day, in a market system, it's not about how much hard work you put into something. It's about more what's your value, what, what do you contribute to in terms of generating money. And, and what kind of stake do you want to have at that? Is it a 50-50 split, you know, with the university and the athletes, a 40, you know, 60 split, whatever it is. But if you broke it down as to what these universities are making, the NCAA is making off of these athletes, and you're justifying that their compensation is a scholarship, you're, you're basically paying those guys far less than minimum wage for what they're yeah. doing. I mean, it's it's absurd, and so you know you got to put that into perspective. Where it's like it's really not about you know going out and, and seeing how hard you work. You know we're not talking about that because it's tremendously admirable to to work two jobs and to have to go you know so you can go to school. That's phenomenal, but it's not about that when you're saying oh these guys just play a game. It's about how much money did they contribute an athlete to bringing in to the university versus a regular student. You know, and, and, and maybe there's some programs out there, some research programs where a regular student can bring in a tremendous amount of money. They should be compensated fairly for that research. Just because they're a student doesn't justify that all of a sudden you can't pay them, and the same goes for athletes. And so that, no. that those are all fun conversations because you get to hear from different perspectives. That's what I love about social media is you hear the different perspectives, you learn from some, and then you give voices to others that you feel like need to be heard. Yeah, I agree with you. I was just going to say I agree because, you know, I, you played you know, football in college. I played baseball in college. Mine was much lower at a D3 level. But still, you know, we both can kind of relate to, 
we put in a lot of time and effort. You know, you, you were probably the football program at BYU was probably bringing in some good money, obviously, for that school. Need a lower level D3, probably not bringing in as much money, obviously, for the baseball program, for the school. But still, you know, you're working your butt off. You're playing hard. You, you, you know, you're putting in a lot of time where you don't have that opportunity to work those two jobs and things like that. So I definitely do think the NCAA needs to kind of look into that. And, and, and then a coach can't even give a kid 20 bucks to go get, uh, you know, a meal or some food or some groceries or something like that. You get penalties and they're, you know, you, you, you're deducted scholarships. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, the thing that's very bothersome to me right now as you do more of the unpeeling of the layers is this term student-athlete because it's one yeah. of the most manipulative terms I've ever heard of in my life. And if you look at the origin of its term. It goes all the way back to college football players. And I don't, I, it was either the 50s or 60s, one of those times to where guys were getting hurt. Just the equipment wasn't up to par. And so a lot of guys were submitting insurance claims to the NCAA. And so what the NCAA was able to do, I don't know how, but they were able to term college athletes as student athletes, which then released these universities in the, in the NCAA from any liability of having to fulfill any of those claims if somebody was hurt in sports or whatever. And so it became this out clause, essentially, calling or titling, giving somebody the title of student-athlete for them to take responsibility for things that they should be responsible for. And so I, I feel like this is thrown around so flippantly. Student, oh, they're student-athletes. Like it's so demeaning that, oh, it's basically saying, oh, you don't deserve the same rights and privileges as somebody who's in the workforce because you're a student. No, it doesn't yeah, matter. It's crazy. Whether you're a student or not, you're a part of the work. You are contributing to bringing in some kind of value that somebody's going to go make money off. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to, you know, benefit from whether it's the university paying their teachers, buying new. I mean, it's unbelievable the facilities these teams have now, like Oregon. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, the, and I understand there's probably a lot of donations involved in that, but hey, why not save some of that and pay your players? I'm sure Phil Knight up there in Oregon would rather pay his players than put a waterfall outside of a stadium, you know, but that's the best he can do considering the circumstances they're dealing with. But the bottom line is, is don't, and just because they're student athlete doesn't mean that they don't belong to the workforce. And I find that to be somewhat insulting that people want to continually go back to student-athlete without realizing the origin of its term, which is to relinquish any responsibility for that athlete in terms of compensating them fairly. Yeah, I mean, we could uh, we could have a conversation about this for an hour, but, you know, you're, you're definitely right. The athletes deserve to be paid, and, and, and the NCAA needs to do something about it. And like you said, you mentioned a great point there about, you know, the coaches would rather – you know, pay their players a little something and help them out rather than get a waterfall outside of their stadium or something crazy like that or you know, whatever it may be. But let's get back on to, to you right now and to your sports media career. Again, we're talking with Brady Papinga here on The Word with G. And, you know, you've held all those jobs. We, we talked a little bit about your, your sports media jobs that you've held. Which one has been your favorite that you've had so far? Wow, that's a tough one, man. I, I really have enjoyed – I mean, I love – doing the radio and the, the English side of things. But sometimes, you know, you like a little challenge and you like a little, uh, mm -hmm. you know, freshness. That's just the athlete in you. New. Yeah, and that's where the Spanish stuff comes in, you know, because I enjoy connecting with a whole other audience that is really new to the game of football, American football. You know, they're most Latins and Hispanics and 
Spanish speakers are humongous fanatics of soccer. You know, and so mm-hmm. it's and they love the game football. They're just new to it, and so it's a tremendous honor to be able to share with them the nuances of how certain strategies work, why coaches make certain decisions. You know, what actually is happening? You know, why why run the ball? You know, on second and ten. You know, it's don't you want to get more than three yards? You know, and then he explained it well. If you can get to third and six, you have a lot more options to choose from than if you're at third and eight. That's a difference. Of, or even yep. third and ten, you know, difference of a few yards. But it's it's a huge difference in terms of options. You have more available at your fingertips, you know, based off of data distance. Uh, at that particular stage. So those kinds of things are fun to share with them. And then the language itself is, is a tremendous honor to do and to speak because it, it's the challenge in of itself. You know, you would, I mean, I'll make up words all the time, but they'll look at me like the guys that I'm working with look like, what, what the hell? You know, the, and, it, and, it, and it's usually a good indicator of, hey, you either said something that's really new to them because you did your extra research or you just made something up that nobody understands, which is fine. <laughs> a little you know, spangler. Yeah, I mean, you make up some slang here or there or whatever, but it's, it, like I said, it's it's an honor and it it's exciting to speak to a people in their own language as if you feel like a guest into their culture, you know, because I, I didn't grow up in the Latin yeah. culture. I was born and raised in Evanston, Wyoming, a small town in southwest Wyoming, and and so I would say that that's probably my most enjoyable experience, just based off of the challenge element of it, connecting with a fan base that's new to the game, and uh, and the Latin culture is one that's it's rare it's re- it's really a fun culture. And so uh, I would say you know doing it in Spanish is probably the funnest thing I do, although everything else is still really fun. That's true. Well, what's the coolest experience that you have? Was it was it in fact going down to Mexico City and kind of bringing you know American football down to those people and and just kind of opening their eyes to, because it, it seemed like it was a great turnout. You know, it seemed like there was a ton of people. A lot of people were into it. You know, what was that experience like? Was that was that one of the kind of cooler things that you've done around the game and, and, and kind of being around that culture that maybe isn't used to the NFL? Oh, I, yeah, I thought that was really fascinating because a couple of things really struck out at me. One is, is as we are going into Mexico City, uh, downtown near a hotel they had a whole display of you know football i mean they made this game like it was a huge party with you know a week i mean months of build-up they're doing the same thing now for next year with the patriots and the raiders that's going to be down in mexico city i mean they're excited as ever to see him but then to go to this stadium called the estadio azteca where generally they play soccer and to see it capacity crowd and they were all Raider fans by the way. I mean it was literally a home game for the Raiders <laughs> even though the were there. I mean they knew the game. They knew when to cheer, when not to cheer. They knew a game just like the Americans did. I mean they, they even knew to shoot lasers in the eyes of the Houston Texans offensive players. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. They, oh, you're not that. You that added element. Yeah, that was probably one of the most funnier experiences because in the U.S. you just don't see that happening, you know, where people are shooting lasers or doing that kind of banter to the opposing team that actually does affect their ability to perform. I mean, you can yell at them and, like, they shoot to try to blind somebody that's crossing boundaries in the U.S. There, I mean, they had their highest police department. It's called La Policia Federal. They were trying to – it was funny because you saw them up in the stands searching for this person shooting a laser – 
And so all of a sudden, you know, the laser disappears for about a quarter and a half. You're like, okay, the police must have found them. They sort of disappear from that area, and they're off somewhere else, and boom, the, the guy's back, or the lady's back. Oh, the laser. <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. What is this? this is crazy. I was like, only in Mexico City. And then there was kind of, like, they have this area that's roofed with the, uh, yeah. the stadium. I mean, there's a couple guys that stood up on the roof, want to jump off into the field. You know, so it was uh, those kind of experiences. They're cool because you're taking something that you're used to a certain kind of culture, you know, like a game, an American game, an American yep. culture, and you're taking it, you're, you're planning it in a whole other culture, and you see the mixture of the two cultures. It's just fascinating, and it's, and it's exhilarating to be a part of. Wow, that's, that's really cool. That must have been an awesome experience. I remember listening to you on the radio. I was actually I had to listen to that game on the radio. I think I had something going on with my car that night. And I remember hearing you on, on the Westwood One broadcast. And, and that just must have been just so cool, to, like you said, to be in that stadium that's typically a soccer stadium and have it filled to capacity with all those crazy fans, and like you said, mostly Raider fans. Uh, and whatnot. Again, we're talking with Brady Papinga here on the Word with G. Now, what is Brady Papinga's dream job? What do you want out of all this? Where do you hope this gets you to? Or are you exactly where you, you want to be for the rest of your career? No, I would say, you know, my dream job is to do, I mean, I'm doing radio, but I would love to do a, a national radio show or a local radio show, like in a big market, like in Los Angeles or even Miami. Uh, throughout the yep. week, but I love to do it from my house, you know, like have the, That's the liberty and the, yeah, well, it's because I have, a, you know, I have an ISDN line, and it, you mm-hmm. don't have to travel anywhere, you know, and it's, with technology these days, man, you can, you can have high quality connections anywhere, you know, and so, I mean, ideally, you know, I, I like to do something like that, uh, and I still love doing all the sports stuff, but I mean, it's like I'm almost like I'm doing the stuff that I envisioned I wanted to do. I would say mm-hmm. just want to do it more consistently, you know, more than, uh, you know, like last year with Westwood One, it's seven games. Maybe it was eight. I don't know. I like to do, uh, you know, maybe Who's four coming? games. You know, and, you know, I just, yeah, you know, stuff like that. Just more higher volume of the stuff that I'm already doing is pretty much what I'm looking for. And like I said, I'd love to do a radio show out of my house. That would be phenomenal. That is the goal and the dream. And now, do you have any? Would you give anybody? Because you know, I always, whenever I've had these 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 interviews, these conversations, I always like to have the person who I'm I'm talking to give some kind of advice. So, you know, what kind of advice would you give somebody, whether it be you know a college kid who's never played any sports in his life and is just kind of trying to come up in the industry, or maybe a former athlete, you know, maybe a kid who's in college who played and is trying to get into the into the sports media world, or even an ex-athlete who's trying, you know, a pro football player, a baseball player, a basketball player that's trying to get into the industry? Well, any, I think in any kind of situation, you got to just always say yes, be available, whether you're paid or you're not paid, and it's a craft. You have to practice, man. You can't just think that, oh, I'll, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll do well once the lights are on and the mic's on and blah, blah, blah. No, you got to practice. The best way to practice is reps. You know, get reps. If you're invited on certain shows, take those invitations up. You know, if uh, you know if you're not invited, you know, do your own podcast. Write. One thing that's really valuable is writing. I learned that as I was writing with FootballByFootball.com. Uh, my ability to speak became more concise, to the point. 
you know, which, you know, everybody's attention span is so limited. I mean, especially in today's era with Twitter, with 140 characters and all that, you have to be able to cater to that. And so you have to Mm -hmm. learn to speak what you're feeling and seeing in a concise, to-the-point manner, or you're going to be down a road where everybody's going to stop paying attention to you, and they're going to pay attention to somebody else who is concise. So practice in a way to where you can say things with the least amount of words so you can keep people's attention, keep people intrigued. The way to do that is through writing and repetition. You know, and like I said, don't let a lot of guys have the money drive a lot of what they do. And, uh, I mean, even think of when they, you know, a lot of former players, you think about it, they didn't play for the money early on in their careers. Golf for the love of the game, and that's what then propelled them to play so they can get paid. Mm-hmm. And the same is going to be the case, I would imagine, with broadcasting. You know, you, you're going to have to start off maybe just doing it for the love of it, repetitiously do that, and that love will then propel you to where you'll get compensated fairly when the time is right. 